everybody. If I can call your attention to the front, please. It's always fun for me to watch you talk to each other and encourage each other. I really like that. <clears throat> We've been on this, uh, this series on tensions for a couple months now. And uh, I'm finding it really, really helpful. I love thinking about life in regard to tensions. And what we've been saying is that there's some kind of tensions in life that are just because we've done something wrong. And so we're, you know, we're out of relationship with somebody or we've, we've made a dumb mistake and that brings tension into our life. But there's another way that tension comes into our life in that there's two true things at the same time and how do we live out uh, valuing both of those things at the same time? And that's a different kind of tension. That's what we've been looking at in this series. The tension this week is going to be about compassion and confrontation. Now, this is going to be uh, maybe a little bit more practical. I think it's, a, it's an important thing to talk about. I'll tell you where this topic came from. A, uh, maybe it's about a month or so ago, we had our vision summit. And so the community leaders and deacons and elders got together. We spent a day together, and we were praying for our church and listening to God and trying to encourage one another. And uh, what seemed to be clear, as we look at what the vision of our church is, to make disciples who make disciples, to really invest in other people's lives, to care for one another as a spiritual family, that one of the difficult things perhaps we struggle with, and I don't think it's unique to our church, but that we struggle with, and it's this idea of hard conversations. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate those. I just want to have happy conversations. I don't want to talk about difficult things. And, and so uh, what can... It's possible to live our life in such a way that we just kind of uh, just try to get along. And if, uh, if there's any difficulties, we just try to ignore those things and hope that it would go away. And, and so uh, there's a way to live that would avoid hard conversations. And I think regardless of what culture we come from, I'm not sure that anybody really enjoys doing that sort of thing. But in Matthew 5.23, it talks about where if there is somebody who you know uh, has, is offended by you or you've offended somebody or they've offended you. Did I say that the right way? Anyways, both ways. That uh, to leave your gift at the altar and to go to be reconciled with them. And so the Bible says this is a big deal. It says don't let the sun go down in your anger. It says that, that we need to have the kind of relationships, and I would say the kind of security in God that allows us to have meaningful conversations. Uh, but here's the challenge. It's difficult to be both kind and compassionate as well as clear and convicting. It's hard to do both of those things at the same time. It's pretty easy to just be blunt. Uh, I remember in my first year uh, in college, I was living with a, an older woman on, the, uh, on Vancouver Island in Nanaimo, and she says, I'm just, I just say it as I see it. 
And I got to know her over the year, and she was right. She really did do that. And uh, it's easy just to be blunt and rude. That doesn't take a huge skill set. Uh, it's also really easy to just kind of be uh, nice and quiet and, and have everybody like you. That's not very hard either. But to try to be kind and compassionate as well as clear and convicting, that's not very easy. And if you have kids, you know that that's true. Uh, sometimes you're just at the end of your rope and you're so frustrated, you just say things that you wish you wouldn't have said. Um, at work, that you just try to ignore everything that's going on and then you just get fed up and you, you blurt out things. Maybe even inside of the church as you try to mentor other people. How do you have those difficult conversations? How do you work something through with somebody else that they might not want to really talk about? How do we do these things? I think that uh, they talk in psychology a lot that when we're anxious or afraid, we have a fight or flight response. And I think that the fight people have no problem being clear. And the flight people have no problem just being nice and withdrawing. But it's to avoid these things and to walk in a way that's loving but also clear and convicting. I think that's a bit of a challenge. The text that we're going to be looking at today to discuss this is Matthew uh, 25, verses 14 to 27. It'll come up on the screen. And we're going to talk through this. And I think it's going to be helpful how to work out this issue of walking in compassion and confrontation. It says in verse 14 of Matthew 25, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Uh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And the master here, the, the man, is a picture of who God is and we're the servants. It says, to one, he gave five bags of gold. That's pretty great to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the same thing happened with the two-bag servant. Servant. And then we get to the one with one bag. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not gathered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, what do you expect at this moment? You expect a, a kind master to say, I, I know, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, 
can we work this through? Boy, I just, I'm, I, I feel bad that you're afraid. That's, no. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, this is a picture of God speaking. A little sobering. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Uh, that's called a confrontation, in case you're wondering. Now I want you to notice that he's still being kind, even at the very end, where he says, I didn't even need you to perform better. You could have put it in the bank. It's nothing about you being clever and, and making your money work. You just had to put it in the bank and it would have all been fine. So it's not about me having some kind of unrealistic expectations about you. But what you did was wicked and lazy. Wow. Let's, uh, let's talk about these two words, compassion and confrontation, and then look at how those two words play themselves out in this parable, in this story. Let's look first at compassion. What would be a definition of compassion? You'll see it on the screen. Compassion is kindly empowering the disadvantaged to succeed. Now, that's the best I could come up with. It's a little bit wordy, but I want to unpack this. Because I think that when we think about compassion, what we mostly think about is being nice to somebody. So if, I'm, uh, if I see somebody begging for money, uh, I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to give them some money. If I see my kids and they're really struggling, I'm going to be compassionate and I'm just going to overlook everything that they're doing wrong and then just give them a treat. And I'm being compassionate. Now, uh, as I studied this idea of compassion and looked at how God describes his compassion towards us, there is a direction to compassion that's more than just, I love you just the way you are. Now, for sure that's true because we know in John 3.16, it says that God still loved the world. And we know that the world isn't always doing super great, not always having a great relationship with God, yet he loves the whole world. But he doesn't have a relationship with the whole world. And much of the world will be judged. So, uh, so when God chooses to have compassion on us, I want you to see that it's not just about it's all good and, you know, you fist pump. Um, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, it describes the work of Jesus while he was on earth. And listen to how it's described. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do a bunch of things. Number one, to proclaim good news to the poor. So there's disadvantaged people. And what do you think the good news to poor people would be? Well, you're not going to be poor anymore. I, you're going to make some money. And it's a, it's, you can already reference Matthew 25 that we've just read. Given a bag of gold. 
But we, we saw that there was more going on with that bag of gold than just going, woohoo. It's I've entrusted something to you, and I'm going to be following up to see what you've done with that. You were poor and disadvantaged, so I'm going to take you out of that place. You couldn't get out of that on your own. It's a free gift, but it's not just to, to get you out. It's to move you beyond. Let's just keep going, and it'll start to make more sense. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. What all of these qualities of being poor, a prisoner, blind, and oppressed, what they all have in common is a, uh, is a helplessness. And it's a segment of society that can't help themselves. And so the curse of all of these things is that you're helpless. Now, to get out of the curse of being powerless and helpless isn't simply to give a free gift. It's to now set the stage for you to move beyond helplessness into a place of responsibility and activity and usefulness. Um, I think that uh, it's easy to think in our society that um, that uh, being compassionate is just to give a free gift and kind of get them back up to zero. And God says, no, I'm coming to give you a free gift so that now you can fulfill the plans and purposes that I have for you in your life. Uh, Debbie and I went on a date last night, and we went to see the movie Wonder. I really liked it. It was a great movie. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, spoil it for you. Uh, but it is about a, a kid who's disfigured, and it's about uh, his journey in life. Now, what I love about that, uh, what I loved about the movie, is that it was the parents' ambition not simply to say, I love you the way you are, which was for sure true, but you have a role to play in life that no one else can play. And so what I'm not going to do is spend... Uh, uh, all of my energy protecting you. I am going to do that, but if I am truly compassionate, if I truly care about you, I'm going to actually push you out and, and, and have you experience the pain of the world and work that through so that you can be a contributing member of society and not just a receive handouts for the rest of your life and have your identity in your disadvantagedness. I think this is a different kind of compassion. It's a courageous kind of compassion. This is, I care about you where you're at, but I'm restoring your sight and making you not poor because there's a destiny for you to fulfill. So I'm going to give you what you can't earn yourself. But 
don't bury it. Do something with it. Don't take my compassion as a license for irresponsibility. Take my compassion as a doorway into the life that I've designed for you. So this is what we see with uh, the master. He empowers. He says, here is a bag of gold. That's fairly empowering. I'm going to give you, uh, you're a servant, I'm a master. I have no obligation to do this. I'm going to give you a bag of gold. And I'm going to be kind about it. I'm not going to judge you the way that I do with the five-bag person or the two-bag person. I'm going to give according to your ability. I'm kind in what I'm going to be giving you. I'm not going to set you up for failure. I know fully who you are, and I am doing all that I can in my compassion to guarantee your success. I'm giving you the right amount of giftedness, the right amount of ability, potential, but not so much that it would crush you. And then, so I'm kind, I'm empowering, but I'm also setting you up to succeed. And because I'm confident in that, when I come back, I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to see what you've done with my money. And so you're going to be accountable. That's compassion. It's not the kind of compassion... Look, the biggest danger... And if you are in the healthcare industry, you know this. But the biggest danger in being kind to people is you become disempowering. There is, uh, we know a little bit about the uh, welfare system and uh, foster care and those kinds of things. And uh, it's really easy to become entitled. It's really easy. What this means is that there's two problems and not one. The first problem is the, I don't know if you've seen on, on Facebook, it's come up like I don't know how many times. It's where they have a whole bunch of people lining up at a line and they say, I'm going to give the winner a hundred bucks. Have you seen this one yet? And then they go, but before you all start running, those who came from a family whose parents are still together, I want you to take a step forward. And then, you know, people would take step forward, and some people were still way back. And then they say, ready, set, go. Well, the advantaged ones, the odds are way higher than, of them winning than the disadvantaged ones. So, uh, kids in care, disadvantaged absolutely true here's the problem is that even I mean you listen to stories of you know we, we took 53 hours of training that was the name of the course you can tell how long it was and uh, you listen to story after story of kids I mean it is not exaggerating a hell of a life and so you just you well up with compassion and you want to just love in every way. But unfortunately, there's another ditch. And the other ditch is entitlement. 
And you can say, hey, you know how much I've been through? I deserve something from the government. And we know people who are working the system. Man, if you knew what you could get from the government, it's amazing. You can get all of your education paid for. Like, it just goes on and on. It is incredible. And I love every bit of that. But if you only treat people as disadvantaged, you're as disrespectful of them as those who tell them to just get their life together and grow up. You have to recognize that everybody also has a sin nature that's going to take advantage of that. And so we live in the tension. And what we see in this passage is a wonderful example of the master who is thoroughly generous, reasonable in that generosity, and then expecting accountability on the other side. That is a compassionate person. That's compassion. Now let's look at confrontation. It's a little trickier. Here's the definition that we're working with with uh, confrontation. Confrontation is clearly addressing what undermines heart change. Clearly addressing what undermines heart change. Uh, the the uh, Christian word for heart change is repentance. So you can just use that word if you want. But uh, this is what confrontation is. Now, I don't know how you feel about this word. This is a hard word. And I love the tension that it's described in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. This is what it says. It says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage, so that's a warning. And then you encourage the disheartened. You help the weak and you're patient with everybody. I just think I've referred back to 1 Thessalonians 5.14 so many times in my life. Because I go, am I to warn, encourage, help? Like, what am I supposed to do right now? It's not clear all the time. But we have some, uh, we have some description as to when a confrontation is appropriate. And it's about being idle and disruptive. But here's the big danger. For some of us, that's not hard. You're just blunt. And uh, blunt is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. I've looked it up, and it's not one of the fruit of the Spirit. Being blunt, there's nothing heroic about being blunt. I think it's called being mean. And uh, if you think, I just say it as I see it, and... People's just got to work it out then. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Um, no, you're being mean. The point of confrontation is to produce heart change. And if we know, just as we needed to know where compassion was leading, not just getting out of poverty or getting my eyes back, but so that I can move into the the destiny that God has. I'm not, I'm, I'm moving out of 
dependency so I can contribute. The same needs to be true about confrontation. The goal of confrontation is to move people toward a heart change so that they can live the life that God's called them to live. I'm listening to a, um, a, uh, um, a course on counseling. I just, I just like listening to these courses. And so uh, uh, the, the prof is telling this story about how when he was first a counselor and, and sometimes he would, just, he would just say it as he sees it. And he thought that that was being empowering. And, but what he found out is that people would leave and not come back. And that's not super helpful for producing change. And so his mentor said to him, and I can't use the language that, uh, that the mentor said to him. But he says, if, uh, if people don't come back, it means you've messed up. And he did not say messed up. Or messed, <laughs> to be perfectly. Um, but anyways, so, yeah, okay. So, uh, so the idea is that, listen now, I'm not responsible to be honest I'm responsible to help you grow and get whole and have a healthy heart. My goal is not what I'm to do. My goal is about you, not about what I'm doing. And if I think that my job is to be kind or confrontative, I'm missing the point. My job is to help you succeed. And when that's the criteria, it now shapes the confrontation. And it's not just about being clear. It's about being clear in a way that helps the person be restored and walk in life. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Uh, here's how the master in... Matthew 25 was clear. <laughs> you wicked, lazy servant. That's <laughs> the clarity that was brought into the moment. Now, what do we do with that? Uh, remember where in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it said that there was two criteria for a warning. The one was laziness, the other was to be disruptive. This is the lazy one. And laziness warrants this response. You wicked, lazy servant. Now, uh, and he, so here's what's going on. You got somebody who's lazy. Now, uh, uh, laziness is inspired by at least two things, fear and blaming. Hey, it's not my fault. I would be active. It's just they have to do something first, whoever they are. Maybe you even. Like, you know, it's just it, laziness. Is, it's just it's somebody else's fault. And as soon as they do their part, I'm pretty sure I'll kick in. And this is exactly what we see in this passage. The, the one bag of gold, which is still a whack of gold as far as I can tell, but anyways, the one bag of gold person says, hey, I know that you're a hard man 
in that you reap where you didn't sow. So I was afraid of you. Now, it is, follow me now, it is unloving for the master to buy into that. Because if the master says, hey, you're right, I, you know, I am a hard man, and I've been working on it, and I'm still, I'm still growing, and uh, I hope that, you know, you'd be okay with that. What does the lazy guy have to do? Well, you better believe you're working on it, and as soon as you figure this out, I just might get responsible after that. We'll see. We'll see how well you perform. Now listen to this, you guys. There is this thing that uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, you find really interesting, lots of people do, it's called apologetics. And what it is, is it says that the reason why people don't come to Christ is they see him as being unhealthy. Um, uh, why are there suffering kids in Africa and my nice aunt died of a horrendous cancer when she was in her 30s. That's not right. And what do you and I want to do in that moment? Not this passage. What we want to do is we want to say, hey, God really is a good guy. And, uh, and if you'd get to know him, you would see that he's really good. And I know him, and I know that he's really good. Doesn't that sound reasonable? I, I've done that a thousand times. And what does the master say? You wicked, lazy servant. If you think that I hold African children in my hand and your aunt in my hand and that I can wipe them out, fear me. If you're really afraid of me, then be afraid of me. This is not the problem. No, the problem is you're wicked and lazy. And what we do as Christians is we shift the focus and instead of you and I being on trial, God's now on trial. And it looks like we're just defending his name and showing how good it really is. No, what happened in that moment is we slid off the judgment seat and we put God there. And if you're good enough, then just maybe I'll worship you. He says, you worship me anyways. Because if I'm the living God, I hold your life in my hand. And I don't apologize for that. Now, the good news is, of course, he's also kind. But it doesn't matter if he's kind if he's king. Fortunately, he's both. That's super good news, and that's why we're here thanking him. <laughs> but are you following me that what you and I can do in the name of defending God, in the name of being nice in our confrontations... We indulge people's blaming. 
and it's not right. So, uh, my kids can have different bags of gold. They're all in different places. But every one of my kids has a destiny on their life. And I am not going to let you blame somebody else. I'm not going to let you blame your past. And I'm not going to listen to your fears. Because I know who Jesus has made you to be. And I expect nothing less than you walking in that peace and joy and destiny. And I define you by that. And that is what a confrontation is about is believing more in who Jesus says that you are than even who you want yourself to be. And I'm going to confront that lie. And I'm not going to submit to that because there's more in you. Confrontation isn't about being mean. It's about being clear so that you can see heart change and move into your destiny. It's loving to remove people's excuses. Here's my criteria then. Uh, so in my job, I have to, uh, I have to confront. And uh, as a parent, I have to confront. And I just want to give you a criteria, then we'll conclude. The, uh, here's the criteria for me when I'm going to talk to somebody. And it's simply this. Is it good news? And if it's not good news, it's not worth saying. I might have to say a really hard thing to somebody, but I don't believe I'm ready to speak until my heart is compassionate and I'm convinced this is best for them. Listen now. The reason why we do excessive compassion or excessive confrontation where we smother people and make them irresponsible or we're mean and cold is because we've made the moment about us. Am I going to be loved? Uh, you're bugging me, so I'm going to correct you because I don't like how you behave around me. If you confront people just because of how they bug you, don't bother confronting. Go and work that out. We confront not for our benefit, but for theirs. And we turn the other cheek and are compassionate, not for our benefit, but for theirs. And so what we do as a community is we're filled with the Spirit. And we care about others to such an extent that we might even risk the relationship because we love them and see who God has called those people to be. Now, I don't know all of you here, but I know quite a few of you. And I can tell you, you should confront people because I've seen your heart and I know you love Jesus. And I think it would be good to help other people have a heart change. You're not going to do it perfectly, but it's better that you do it 
than that you don't. Um, you know, I, 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 I struggle to say this because I didn't get the okay from everybody. But uh, if you want to learn how to com confront, uh, well, first of all, you can begin with me. Right? There's lots of things. Just practice on me. Uh, but in case the lineup is too long, uh, what you can also do is just practice on your D group leader. D group leaders, I'm so sorry, I didn't give you a heads up on this. Uh, practice on a leader. Say to a leader, this is how you hurt me when you did that. That's what leaders are there for. You practice on them. So that when it comes to somebody who isn't going to receive it in quite the same way, you've already practiced a few times and you can get your wording down or whatever you need to, or work on your heart before you say it. But uh, uh, can we be a community that speaks the truth in love? Can we be a community that speaks the truth in a method of, with a motive of love? You guys, um, it's not a trick if you're, you know, identify yourself as Canadian. It's not a trick to be tolerant. That's not godliness. It might be, but that's not the high watermark. We need to figure out how to have hard conversations with people. I think of the people that I have prayed with to come to Christ. They were often a hard conversation. They just were. I had to say, you know, not always wicked and lazy, but we're sinners. We are. And what if the reason why our discipleship isn't where we long for it to be, our mentoring of others isn't where we long for it to be, is because you and I have been afraid of hard conversations. And I know that I haven't been able to grow until people have had those conversations with me, beginning with my wife, working through my kids, and uh, the elders, and anybody else I think who's been around me, <laughs> they figured it out pretty quick, my imperfections. And I'm so grateful for them that they were willing to say the hard thing because they love me. And I am encouraging you to be that kind of friend. I get that it's costly, but we need to do this. Worship team, if you could please come up. Could we please stand together? I'd like to pray for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you describe yourself as one who brings conviction, conviction of guilt and even judgment. And Father, we apologize that we've thought ourselves to be nicer than you. You are way more loving than we could ever imagine your perfect love and in that perfect love you're not afraid to confront your children God I pray that you would give us the grace 
to so love our neighbor that we would engage in the hard conversations. Oh, Father, help us to get over ourselves how we're viewed, whether we're going to say it well enough, and to take the focus off of ourselves and onto you and the people around us. Set us free from, self -con from self-consciousness so that we can truly love people the way that you love us. Thank you, Jesus. There is a... Uh, um, when we talk about communion at the front, we always talk about it in terms of receiving. Um, these elements are a sign of judgment. And that those who would reject these elements stand in condemnation. And so as a sign that you're a sinner and that you need to be confronted with your sin, I encourage you to come and receive communion and say, I need this. I need the offense and I need the compassion. Let's worship him together.